First of all, welcome to Sockets and Cylinders. Um, normally, you guys are used to hearing our co-host Jason Stat, aka Statman, uh, doing the introduction. But unfortunately, Stat was in a car accident um, here not too long ago. So um, we have a temporary co-host with us for the next few episodes. You guys should all know him fairly well. YouTube's Eric the Car Guy. Eric, thank you for joining us. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, we're coming off a couple episodes ago. You were you were a guest on the show, and now all of a sudden you are co-hosting and joining us. So we are very excited to have you, and we appreciate you taking the time um, to be here with us. Well, life takes interesting turns every once in a while. You just kind of got to go with it. Absolutely. And uh, I should follow up to the, to the comment about Jason and his car accident. I just spoke with him today. He is doing well on the quick road to recovery. So all is good on that end, and hopefully we will have him back with us um fairly soon um but good to hear yeah no definitely the mustang that we talked about in all of our episodes and and you'll see on some of our youtube videos is unfortunately not as in good a shape as jason at this point in time so the mustang has been lost but the engine is still good so there's some opportunity there maybe search some fun projects indeed uh, joining us today on this episode is Mr. Drew Money, who happens to be also our video producer from 779 Productions and our director for our Sockets and Cylinders YouTube series. Um, so Drew's here with us today, and he's working on a documentary. Drew, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Hey, uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so we've been working on a documentary that uh, I think is uh, the right, this is probably the right venue because it's uh, a documentary for car people that love cars. Um, but it's also more than that. It's uh, it, it really kind of started as a car interest of ours, and it's kind of turned into a real, I guess, human interest piece just because of the personalities that are involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, overview of it is uh, here in Cincinnati where we are doing this podcast right now. Um, there actually used to be a very prominent General Motors factory in Norwood, which is one of the suburbs of Cincinnati just north of the city. And... Um, uh, a lot of people, unfortunately, nowadays don't even realize it was there. But uh, this particular uh, automotive plant was the birthplace of the Chevrolet Camaro, which a few of your listeners might have heard of that obscure <laughs> automobile, um, as well as the uh, Firebird Trans Am. Yeah. Um, interestingly, uh, so it's it's the birthplace of the of the Camaro and the Trans Am, but not the Firebird in general. Uh, Firebird actually started in Lordstown, Ohio, okay, which is upstate. Um, and then in 67, 68, uh, 69 was when they made the determination to move it to Norwood, largely off of the success of uh, the production that was happening at Norwood. Um, Norwood had always been a, a plant that kind of proved itself as a uh, having a workforce that could get things done. And with the Chevrolet, be, uh, with the Chevrolet Camaro being a brand new platform, uh, there were a lot of challenges on getting that thing up and running and meeting the numbers that, that uh, Chevrolet wanted. Uh, just because it was such a popular car in 1967 when it rolled out. Um, well, I guess the end of 1966, but for the 67 model year. Right. So, um, yeah, so they moved uh, the Firebird production to Norwood, and that was just in time for the Trans Am. Um, and there were two plants at that point that were making them. There was Van Nuys, California, and Norwood, Ohio. Uh, Norwood being the uh, by far the largest producing plant of the two. Um, and we can get more into it, you know, I can go probably hours and hours and hours nonstop talking about this, but I will, that's the, that's the overview of the project. So. No, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested. Um, Eric, I know you're fairly new to this, uh, 
project with Drew, hearing about it and kind of learning about it. I know you guys maybe talked about it a little bit last time we met. Uh, do you have any interesting questions? Because I know you've lived here for quite some time. Um, were, you, were you in Cincinnati during the time that the Norwood plant was actually existing? No, I've only been here for about 20 years, but this is a fact that has eluded me. But I will confess that for many years I carried around a picture on my wallet of a 1969 Z28 <laughs> that was my favorite car for the longest time, and I had no idea they were building it here in Norwood. You know, that's the interesting thing about that we found with this documentary is that, you know, you've got a picture of that in your wallet, which, you know, that's where we carry around the things that are near and dear to us, you know, the photos in our wallet. And, you know, even though refrigerators and toasters, you know, it's all made out of the same stuff, you know, like steel and plastic. And no one takes pictures with their refrigerator, but they take pictures (laughs) with their car because cars represent who we, you know, it's it's a piece of our image that we put out to the world. Oh, yeah. Your car and your personality. It's almost a member of the family. Yeah, often time. Yeah. No, so that's super interesting. Uh, Drew, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit where they can find some more information about the documentary, right? Do you have a website? Yeah. And- um, so they can find out, you can find out more information on norwoodlegends.com. Uh, the name of the documentary is Norwood Where Legends Were Born. And um, it uh, basically is going to span the entire history of the plant from 1923 when it opened to 1987 when it closed. Um, the closure was very controversial. Um there were there were reasons that were cited by GM that it closed. There were other reasons by outside factions that it closed. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> but you can see a trailer. You can also see some of the really interesting uh, interviews we've gathered. We had a chance to talk with Burt Reynolds shortly before his passing. And while I am saddened that he is not no longer with us to see the documentary completed, uh, I do feel lucky that we were able to to preserve a little bit of that history and be one of the, the last interviews where he speaks on the subject. The reason that Burt Reynolds' interview is so uh, relevant to our story is that all of the Trans Ams that were used in Smokey and the Bandit came from the Norwood plant. Oh, wow. And we also were able to interview Jay Leno last year when he was doing a comedy show in Columbus. And both of those guys were so gracious, uh, very interested in our topic of the documentary, and sat down with us for longer than we thought we could get with them. But, um, you know, those are two of the special interviews, but probably the most special interviews are... I think the 30 plus people that we've talked with and interviewed on camera that actually worked at the plant. And that's where the real humanist interest side of it comes in. We, we've talked to one guy who almost went um, and had a, a pro baseball career. He actually struck Pete Rose out three times in high school in a game. Um, he, he injured his, his uh, elbow and ended up going into accounting and he became the, the payroll uh, head at GM Norwood. We've talked with the guy who put the last part on the last car the day that it closed. So there, there's really interesting stories in this documentary outside of just the the pure awesomeness that is the cars that rolled out of the plant. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. I know we saw some of those cars at the um, Smyth Automotive first annual car show here not too long ago. Eric, you were there with us. Um, yeah, I was. Yeah, we saw. So there was a couple cars from the Norwood plant there, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, yeah, we had uh, one guy who brought the number two pilot car of the second gen Camaros. He uh, had it, it was one that he when he bought it, he did not realize that its significance, nor did the previous owner. But after he saw all the zeros, you know, zero 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 yeah. zero two, uh, he looked into it, and um, yeah, he he was kind enough to bring it for the Smythe show, which was a fantastic show. I I, I really enjoyed it. We were Thank there, you, yeah. uh, we had, had some time. stuff out on the documentary, and it was a great day. If you missed it, make sure to come next year. It was an awesome show. It will be back in the same place next year, so hopefully... A great um, venue. Yeah, hopefully you can make it down. 
But no, I thought that was really cool. And some of those cars were absolutely beautiful. Eric, you were one of our judges, so you obviously had an opportunity to see some of those cars. And talk to some of the owners. There were I, I learned so much when I go to car shows, and I just ask questions and shut up. <laughs> I, I can get. I, I learned so much about um, uh, the Oldsmobile that was there. The uh, I can't remember what it was exactly, uh, but I fell in love with it while it was there. It was a Hearst Olds, I believe it was that white one. Yeah, the white Hearst Olds, and yeah. it was uh, it was actually a parts car that they turned around and turned into that car, which I thought they did an amazing job with. That's always nice when you see cars that are destined to be split up into parts cars or, you know, they're, they're at the end of their life and someone comes in and rescues it and puts it back to its former glory. Yeah, no, it's definitely any car you can save from the junkyard is always a, a good save. So I have a question. I want to re- revisit the picture of the, the Camaro in your wallet. Did you ever get a chance to own and or work on one, Eric? Um, neither, actually, come to think of it. Uh, it was just, I guess, something that wasn't meant to be. And probably because when I was younger, insurance for a car like that would have been too high. I did run across one for like two or $300 back in the late 80s, but it was pretty rough. Yeah. And I just I just couldn't buy it because I'm from Western New York. So whatever's left, really, there isn't much of it left <laughs> uh, after a few years, especially something with a unibody construction like a Camaro. So, you know, maybe maybe someday. It always has been a favorite, but you know that car got so popular that they're hard, they're really super hard to find now, especially something in an affordable price range that hasn't already been worked over in some way. Oh yeah, no, I definitely agree. I find it interesting how many. Uh, I mean, you can you can practically get a brand new 1969 Camaro without an original part, including the body. I mean, there are there's an entire industry that's built up around you know not only reproduction parts but just entire reproduction Camaros, and I think that's great. Uh, you know. I don't. I don't think you should ever try and play that off as an original. No, but the fact yeah. that it is such a popular car, and there are companies out there that are making it affordable for people to own something that looks and feels the way that those original cars did, and sometimes you know you can get one that looks and feels like a or feels like a brand new car, but looks like an old car. Yeah, and that's great. I. I that, sorry, Eric. Go ahead. To me, it's part of the fun having that looseness. That you know, fifty, sixty-year-old feel to a car. It's yeah, modern cars are great. They're safer. They're better. But there's there's something about that original nut-bolt rivet feel of a of a production vehicle that's been in service for a number of years. Yeah, there's something cool to say about that too. Just the amount of people who recognized it and cared for it and maintained it throughout all those years as well. Uh, just oh, having the weird. forethought. To, to, you know, this is going to be worth something one day. And not only that, just taking pride because it's a, a loved possession of theirs. Which means they're not going to part with it. <laughs> Everybody has a price. Mm. Maybe. I suppose that's true. Um, no, but that's awesome. So, Drew, why don't you get into, I mean, so you talked about Burt Reynolds. You talked about Jay Leno. Uh, obviously, there's so much. I want to hear more from you about really what... What got you started with the documentary? Where you know you talked a little about human interest, but sure, where does it all come well, from? Interesting segue because it involves a 1969 Camaro. <laughs> um, so the the real reason I started on this project was uh, it did not ever we did not ever intend for this to be a feature length documentary. Um, my dad, the first new car he bought uh, right as he was about to graduate college, was a 1969 Camaro. He bought it in Gadsden, Alabama, where he was uh, where he was from. And uh, 
he was on his way back to school. I think he was getting ready for his finals. And I can't remember what he was driving at the time, but it was it was an old, well used vehicle of, of uh some type. I you know, as a college student you basically get what you can afford and, and uh drive it till it doesn't drive anymore. And he was on his way back to, to his finals and um went to go start it up and it just would not start up. He had been saving money for, for a little while and his parents were um, kind enough to, to say, you know, we'll, we'll match funds with you to help you get a reliable car to kind of start you on your way as an adult. And when that happened, they said, well, okay, you're not quite graduated yet, but, you know, you can sink all this money into a repair or we can go ahead and just, you know, kind of give you an advance on the half. And, and uh, that last little bit you need to save up, we'll, we'll just, um, you know, wait till you get your job and you can pay us back for it. So he went out uh, in search of a new car and um, it was interesting. He was actually looking for a Super B. Um, that was what he really wanted. But when he got to the dealership, he saw the Camaro and it kind of, you know, piqued his interest. So, you know, in 1969 though, these were just, you know, fun cars on the road. It, right. it wasn't, no how one did, knew it. How would did be- he end up at the wrong dealership? Because, <laughs> that one's a Dodge and one's a Chevy. Right. Yeah. So, so he went on a tour, I think of, of the dealerships in town and, uh, you know, just like when you're buying anything, you, you shop around you and my dad's an engineer by, by training. So, you know, he, he's going to look at every option and, and consider his options. But long story short, he found that car. Um, he and my mom, who was his girlfriend at the time found it and they liked it and, uh, decided to, to go for it. So it was a, uh, frost green, uh, rally sport, uh, 350 engine, white vinyl top um got it for a you know good price and uh he had that car i be, i want to say until maybe 1986 1987 which interestingly enough 87 was the year that the norwood plant closed but anyway i was born in 1979 so i remember as a as a small kid um you know getting in that car and driving around and by that point it had it, it had been relegated to the you know the weekend driver it wasn't the daily driver so it was always a treat when we got to get in that car and you know, start up the engine, rumble around town in it. Um, he sold it just like, you know, many people did when they had their, you know, their their first new car, that special car. And uh, we always thought it would be fun to try and find it. Um, so we started looking into information on the plant just because, coincidentally, I ended up coming up to college. I was born in, and raised in Tennessee where my, my dad uh, and mom still live. Uh, we always thought it'd be interesting to check out information on the plant. Unfortunately, I came up to college here about 10 years too late. I came to Cincinnati in 1997 and the plant had already been closed. So, uh, as we started to find out more information on the plant, we found out that there were huge, uh, interest groups online that were interested in the history of the plant. Uh, several people had, um, either talked about the plant in books uh, we found someone who wrote an entire book devoted to that plant, and we thought, you know, there's there's actually some real interest here. We should just kind of keep going down this rabbit hole and see what we can find. And we started to make some connections um, with some of the people that worked at the plant, and they graciously uh, gave us some time to to do some interviews on camera. And when, when we started shooting, um, me being a video producer and director by trade, you know, we had the camera gear. We thought, well, let's just get some interviews and see what happens. And the stories were really compelling. You know, we talked to one couple that uh, they actually met on the assembly line and um, they were both previously divorced. They, you know, they were having trouble making things work on their own. They, they, they hit it off together and they got married and that marriage still lasts today. It's a, you know, that we just found all these compelling human interest stories as well. So 
that's kind of what made us realize like, hey, there's there's a real story here, not just in the interesting dynamics of the plant, but the interesting dynamics of the people. And Eric, to your point about there's something about those old cars that, you know, the way they drive, um, the way they're they're put together, the the fit and finish, which, you know, sometimes was uh, not always great. It was certainly <laughs> inconsistent from car to car. The reason is that automation was a relatively new thing then. So it was re- it really was people putting these cars together on the assembly line right down to the, you know, the, the welding. Um, some of the interesting things about Norwood that made us realize like, hey, there actually is a real interesting documentary topic here is that Norwood was actually the very first plant that GM employed robotic welding in. Oh, and wow. It, it actually was for the F car. Uh, the F car was GM's first car platform that was actually, um, there was there was computerization built into the design of the car. With it being uh, a new uh, semi-unitized body, um, General Motors was always kind of on the forefront of technology. They decided, okay, with this new platform, let's try out, you know, what we can do with this uh, computer analysis. We'll roll that analysis into this new thing of robotic welding to make the unibodies basically structurally secure and... and um, you know, the the welding, the structure of a unibody has to be far more precise than a body on frame. So it was a great uh, opportunity for General Motors to really push that technology and see what they could do with it. And now, you know, every car on the road is unibody that's, you know, with the exception of, of uh, trucks and some SUVs that are all computer designed, uh, robotic welded. Yeah. But it was a it was a brand new thing back then. Norwood was also the first plant to, to experiment with 24-hour production because of the success of the F-car. They could not build them fast enough. So uh, it, was, uh, it was experimented with for, I think, a little less than a year, but um, it did not work out doing the three-shifting just because the plant had a fairly small footprint. It, it wasn't a modern plant that's built on you know hundreds of acres of land and you bring the parts in one end and out the other end comes, comes finished cars. It was a three-story design, um, so you brought materials in, you had to take them up to the top floor, and then it worked its way down. Uh, that was part of the reason that, that led to its demise, is it was um, an outdated plant by the 1980s. But um, you know, it, it's a fascinating story. Because they produced such a, an interesting car for General Motors too. Norwood was always on the forefront of UAW uh, strike movements. That led to a, a pretty uh, dicey dynamic between management and labor, but uh, Norwood is responsible for a lot of the rights that UAW workers enjoy today uh, that were not there previously. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of Norwood's history. When the plant opened in 1923, it was actually one of the first wave of General Motors plants that was outside of the Detroit area because GM needed to build the cars closer to their, di- closer to their distri- distribution destinations. Um, it was another factor of they just couldn't build them fast enough and ship them far enough uh, to be economically viable. So they started building plants further and further out, closer to areas of the country they wanted to distribute in. So it, Norwood has always been on the forefront of GM's um, you know, push to employ new technology, to broaden their footprint. And it was a shame to see, it, see its demise in the 1980s. Um, there's a whole story uh, there are conspiracy theories about why it closed. <laughs> there are practical reasons why it closed. Um, I can keep going if you want, or I can well, put a un- in it. <laughs> unfortunately, I have a couple questions before you before we do let you go. We're running out uh, of time, but I-, I would love to extend an invitation to you to come out maybe again um, here, in, here in a few weeks and maybe even get some of the guys who were 
Absolutely. We're actual employees over there. I love the fact that there's some synonymous history. Obviously, Smythe Automotive has been in Cincinnati since 1955, so there's plenty of years of overlap while that plant was actually running, and I'm sure uh, you could find some guys who worked there that went to Smythe Automotive to buy some of their parts for their personal vehicles during that time. So I, I think that's extremely interesting. I have to know, did you, through all your research, ever find any information on your dad's vehicle, the one that he had sold? I did. Um, it, real quick, though, let me let me make one other point. <laughs> I would not be shocked if there were some Smythe-supplied parts that actually were brought in to possibly help a few finished cars off the line. Um, GM always did their best to make their own parts, um, you know, make it into the vehicle. But there are documented cases, again, this is when people were building these machines not not uh, robots, and there there were part shortages. There were strikes all the way through the supply chain, and sometimes if a dealer really needed a car, um, there there are documented cases where guys had to run down to the hardware store and get some bolts that just didn't make it uh, in, or go to a parts store and get you know a, an alternator or something to put in that that wasn't there yet. So it's possible that some Smythe parts uh, or Smythe supplied parts even made it into some quote-unquote, new vehicles that rolled off the line. <laughs> that's a really interesting uh, interesting thing. But, yeah, the the uh, search for my dad's car, that's actually part of the documentary. We, uh, we're actually trying, actively trying to find that car. We have gotten as far as knowing its whereabouts at the end of 2016. We know that it was through, I think it had changed hands maybe four times since my dad sold it. And it's been it's been turned into a, a top notch dragster car. Um, huh. You know, the it's been tubbed out in the back. Uh, huge, I think, like thousand horsepower engines been been uh, shoehorned down into it. Wow. But it's alive and well. Uh, the trail is a little bit cold right now because the guy who is the documented last owner says that he sold it to somebody um, through an intermediary. So he's it was a lawyer who the buyer did not want his identity known. An interesting story. I don't know if we quite believe all that. Huh. Um, we're we're it's out there. We've talked to people who said that guy didn't sell the car. I, I've seen that car. Huh. So we think it's somewhere in the Chicago area. If anyone's listening, that's in the Chicago area, <laughs> and you know of a frost green Rally Sport 1969 Camaro that's tearing up the drag strip, contact us because uh, we need to find that car. Yeah. So if you hear any information about that. Or if you were an ex-employee at the Norwood plant, um, have any information to share, please email us at podcast at smythautomotive.com. Uh, we would love to get some more information. Obviously, we were in very good contact with Drew, so we will share that over with him. Drew, like I said, we'd love to have you back, bring in some guys from the plant. I think we'll you guys keep your ears tuned for a few episodes from now. Maybe we'll have Drew come back. There's so much history here behind this. I think it's just unbelievable. Um, so we would love to have you. Um, Eric, again, thank you for joining us today. Um, we really I, appreciate I having you on. One, I just have one last question. Yeah. Where do we see this documentary? So if you go to NorwoodLegends.com, that is the site uh, that we are, basically that's the documentary site where we're building the documentary. We're not quite finished yet. We had hoped to be done by this summer. Uh, there are a few setbacks that have kind of delayed us. One is we're waiting on the Cincinnati Historical Society Library to reopen. Um, anyone who's familiar with Cincinnati knows of Cincinnati's Union Terminal, which is uh, Cincinnati's uh, train station. It still is a train station, but it, uh, originally before airports and, and airplane travel, that was the you know checkpoint for, for long travel in and out of Cincinnati. The uh, Historical Society Library is located in Union Terminal. The, the whole building is going through extensive renovations, so everything has been closed for the last year and a half. Actually, I think two and a half years 
Um, but they're reopening again, I believe, in December or January. So they hold uh, a lot of the old news station um, footage archives. They also hold the Cincinnati Post archives. Um, so that's kind of the last piece of our puzzle that we need to finish the documentary. Um, so updates will be on that website. So right now you can see a trailer, you can see some clips from some of the special interviews we've gotten, and you can get a general sense of kind of what direction we're going with the documentary. But as soon as we have it ready to roll out, which will probably be, um, I would say mid-year next year, we'll post all the information on that website. So norwoodlegends.com. Awesome. Yeah, I I know. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um, well, again, we're running short on time, but Drew will definitely have you back. Thanks for having me. Um, Eric, thank you for being on. Guys, check out ericthecarguy.com for more information from Eric. Check out his YouTube channel, Eric the Car Guy. Check out the Norwood Legends Project at norwoodlegends.com. And please follow us along with us on YouTube, Sockets and Cylinders. Um, and, and like I said, we want to hear more from you. So if you have any information regarding the Norwood plant, any of the vehicles, Drew's dad's missing car, uh, email us at podcast that's my thought but otherwise we'll catch up with you on the next episode and keep your ears tuned for uh, for the return of Drew and some more information on the Norwood Legends project we'll see you guys next time 